You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is COP28 and whether we are headed for energy glut or energy crisis, how demand, supply, and prices interact, affecting economic growth, sustainability, and investment. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, it's great to be here. Good morning. This year's Global Climate Gathering, COP28, has just concluded in Dubai. What was the outcome? Well, after some concern, and uh, this was fairly widespread uh, given uh, that an earlier draft of uh, the annual agreement uh, was leaked and roundly criticized for having very uh, very watered-down language, an agreement has been reached. And, uh, of course, as one can expect, not everyone is happy. That is just the essential nature of the work we have to fight climate change, to address the world's energy needs, to ensure that we're considering impacts on nations that have fundamentally different development uh, uh, trajectories and realities. Uh, you know, we've, we've gotten to this uh, because the world uh, you know, hasn't developed in quite the same way. Uh, many countries uh, developed earlier, uh, took advantage of vastly uh, cheaper, more available uh, energy without much consideration in earlier years of environmental impacts to develop their economies, uh, to industrialize, to create a very high quality of life for consumers and to grow a large middle class. And uh, many countries uh, have only been able to do that work over just the last couple of decades. Uh, many, indeed, are just in the midst of that, and the majority of the world's population lives in these countries. So, uh, of course, the uh, outcome of any such deal on some of these fundamental questions about our energy reality and how, as a global civilization, uh, we have grown, uh, will always lead to the same conclusions. Of course, there was a lot of concern from uh, Pacific Island nations who are experiencing climate change at an alarming pace. Uh, basically, the deal that was reached um, uses this language, and I'll quote, that they are aiming uh, to transition away from fossil fuels in energy systems in a just, orderly, and equitable manner, accelerating action in this critical decade. And that's very interesting language. There was talk earlier of whether the words phase out would be used in relation to fossil fuels. This is actually the first time that uh, I believe fossil fuels have been uh, directly targeted in the language of such a deal uh, because uh, we, we know that uh, our reliance on fossil fuels is not only the reason we've had all this economic growth over the last uh, hundred odd years, uh, but it's also a thing that is causing climate change in the way that we're seeing it. Um, one of the carve-outs um, that has prompted some discussion, some debate, is uh, the idea of transition fuels, which is to say principally natural gas. Uh, and the idea is that uh, allocating, uh, you know, some, some consideration for natural gas as a continued transition fuel is very much baked into this plan. Um, other components that I think are noteworthy is that uh, emissions should be peaking in many parts of the world, according to this agreement, in 2026, just a couple of years away, with uh, net zero ideally being attained by 2050. Uh, the goal remains to limit the average global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. And this matters uh, because, you know, as the world warms in an average sense, that's not to say that it's warming across the board. You know, in some places we're seeing colder temperatures in winter, for example. But overall, if you look at the temperature over the course of the year, there is warming. Uh, We're seeing climate disruption, uh, local environmental disruption, more storms, more precipitation, more drought, uh, unpredictability, um, generally speaking, uh, lots of things that our models can't fully account for, and greater extremes. Uh, and this is all part of the 
climate change parcel, as we understand it. Uh, so it's not so much the fact of warming, really, that, that is the issue. It's actually the rate of it. And uh, just rolling back a hundred odd years, uh, we introduced carbon to the atmosphere at an alarming pace over these last couple of decades. And that's led to a very rapid increase in global temperatures in a very, very highly compressed time span. Uh, that's already having an effect. We're actually just north of one degree average uh, of increase in global temperatures. And uh, the result of that has been uh, 2023 being very likely the hottest year on record globally. Um, but here's the reality as I see it. Um, there's a massive disconnect between ambition and reality. We're effectively engaging in a library make-believe. And in the words of the Climate Action Tracker, which is a reputable, uh, credible organization, um, quote, there remains a substantial gap between what governments have promised to do and the total level of actions they've undertaken to date. Uh, we're actually on track for 2.7 degrees Celsius increase above pre-industrial levels with all current climate policies in place around the world. Uh, but really, it's not a matter of frivolously, you know, just choosing to not do this, not having the will to pursue real action. The fact is that real action comes with real consequences. The technology to fully make the transition in some cases doesn't exist, doesn't make economic sense, or requires lengthy timelines and boatloads of investment to deploy. And moreover, the trade-offs involved can be dire, affecting people's material quality of life in a very consequential way. Just look at life in Europe today, where taking a long shower, running the heater warm during the winter can seriously affect a family's financial well-being. Uh, energy prices are soaring because they have a shortage of energy still coming out of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So those are examples of really the circumstances that we're in and the material reality that you know, these are just symbolic commitments. They have very real, really tangible impact on people's lives. I wanted to ask about an announcement that ResourceWorks recently made to dive into the energy file with renewed enthusiasm. Would you tell us more? Yeah, that's right. We have just announced uh, the Energy Futures Initiative uh, last week. Uh, Barry Penner was BC's Environment Minister under Premier Gordon Campbell. He introduced North America's first carbon tax. A fairly significant move for that time. Uh, we are in the carbon tax era now uh, across the country and uh, much of North America um, and many parts of the world have uh, picked up the pace on this. But at that point, it was a pretty radical move. Um, so we're excited to, to welcome Barry as the Energy Futures Chair for ResourceWorks. And our goal is to talk about uh, the energy demands and needs, including electricity and electrification of British Columbia. We are, like much of the world, on a bit of a collision course between our ambitions to decarbonize and electrify our economy, uh, to reduce our consumption, ultimately, of the types of fuels that we know are causing climate change, and, in turn, our ability to bring new electricity uh, capacity onto the grid, whether that's electricity-generating infrastructure in the form of renewables, hydroelectric, on a river project, solar, wind, nuclear, uh, natural gas, many, many other options, or import from other jurisdictions. Um, and this is one of the essential challenges that British Columbia faces. We need dozens more site sea dams um, to, to be brought online to meet all of this demand going forward. And we're going to be conducting a variety uh, of research efforts over the next year to really examine um, where we are today, what is the state of play for energy in British Columbia, where we're headed, what are the options that uh, governments across the country have in enabling us to get to a series of different outcomes, uh, both in meeting these uh, climate goals, uh, economic goals, uh, and also enabling affordability for consumers. 
uh, and ultimately understanding what are the policy tools that are most readily at our disposal so that we can make this change in a way that is minimally, minimally disruptive to people's lives, that enables us to continue to enjoy affordability and quality of life for people, uh, and so we can play a role in helping the world transition uh, in a way that, as uh, the agreement uh, COP called it, is uh, just orderly and equitable. And that's really where we, we see this uh, coming forward. And how do you see the Energy Futures Initiative connecting to broader global issues around energy affordability and climate change? Well, what we're contending with here in BC is not entirely unique. In fact, not at all. Um, There's a special flavor to it. Uh, We're both an energy consumer and an energy producer. We consume pretty vast amounts of energy in our daily lives. It's a very intensive lifestyle that we have, uh, both as individual consumers and uh, the sort of the net, the bulk of everything that uh, British Columbia produces in a given year. Uh, we have a number of industries that use a lot of energy, and they're the ones that create our jobs, that enable us to have uh, you know, tax revenues, that get invested into services, that uh, you know, drive benefits across different supply chains. Um, so it's not you know, just each of us in isolation as energy users, but it's the economy that we rely on, that we create every year through our actions. Um, and that's one that's very energy-intensive. Um, and as producers, we make a lot of energy, too, uh, lots in the form of hydro. Uh, Canada as a whole is actually the world's third largest producer. Uh, China's the world's largest uh, producer of hydroelectric energy. Um, and we also produce tons of energy in the form of oil and natural gas. Uh, being a coastal province uh, in B.C., we export uh, both of these products, uh, and we produce natural gas specifically in our northeast. Uh, in 2024, our first global export terminal for liquefied natural gas, LNG, will begin shipping this product across the ocean to support that transition for economies in Asia. So uh, I see these as as very consequential conversations, very, very critical ones. And we need to be doing a lot right now to consider what sort of trade-offs we are comfortable with. Um, You know, are we ultimately ready to take the leap forward? There's a lot of ambition. There's a lot of goal setting. Uh, That's been the case since uh, the Paris Agreement in 2015 on climate change. Uh, But we have a lot of work ahead to really understand what sort of material implications British Columbians and Canadians are ready for and willing to accept. And one more thing, Margareta. How will this year's agreement from COP affect Canada? You know, I think in a general sense, stringent targets will continue in earnest. Um, the real question is whether the actual dollars, the actual physical uh, infrastructure getting built, um, the material change in how we produce, transport, and consume energy can keep up with these very stringent targets. Uh, Canada has uh, carved out a role, uh, particularly since 2015, uh, for entirely coincidental reasons, uh, to uh, that being the year the Paris Agreement uh, uh, was signed. Um, as as being a country that makes a lot of ambitious commitments. Um, We were signaling that we want to be part of the solution. Um, We're signaling that uh, we see a great deal of responsibility for uh, where we have gotten in this and uh, how the world uh, can get out of this problem that we're facing. Um, Matching that ambition to the reality continues to be a challenge, not only for us, but for everyone around the world. And I think it's going to take quite a bit of you know, public conversation is going to take a lot of engagement and create a problem solving to really identify how we can get that balance that we need uh, between meeting our energy needs, ensuring that our economies can continue to grow, that people can continue to enjoy a good quality of life, and that we can act on climate and drive towards sustainability.
Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too, Karen.